The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Hey there, Kyle Martino here to tell you about the brand new podcast I'm launching called That's a Dive with Kyle Martino. Each week, I'll take a deep dive into some of the most debated topics bouncing around our soccer community. You can listen to every episode wherever you listen to podcasts. iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, basically anywhere in the podcast sphere. And if you enjoy the pod and want to help out, subscribe, rate, and review the show on iTunes. The ratings help increase our ranking, which allows for more soccer fans to discover the show. Finally, I always love to hear from soccer fans all over, so if you have any questions or feedback or just want to heckle me, please don't hesitate to reach out on Twitter, at Kyle Martino. So what are you waiting for? Subscribe, download, and dive in. Hello, Internet. Roto World's Josh Norris here with another episode of the Roto World Football Podcast. Um, I appreciate your patience. I took last week off uh, to catch up on a lot of stuff. You know, it's draft season. I wish we had another month, actually. And that'll make many of you cringe. Um, today, it is not Evan Silva... It is Dane Brugler of CBS Sports slash NFL Draft Scout. Um, I first met Dane, I believe it was the East-West Shrine game in 2012. Um, and my only thought was that I expected him to be taller. Um, <laughs> Dane also has a new and quite handsome Twitter avatar up right now, uh, where he looks like a country music singer. And he also just published his 2017 NFL draft guide that you can get for 9.99 450 scouting reports all the good stuff and I always say it I think Dane is the closest thing we have on the media side to an actual NFL scout Dane how'd I do uh, that, that sums up my life basically so I, that's great <laughs> I, I I'll never forget your face uh I don't, we were we were driving somewhere and I, I put on some country music on the radio and your face was just dumbfounded. It's horrible uh, that I, I would listen that George Strait would be coming through the the speakers. But yeah. hey, I'm, I'm sorry. That's that, that's who I am. Don't hate me. I'm, for it. I'm a much bigger fan of George Kittle than George Strait. You see what I did there? <laughs> um, all right. So I, Dane I and I have not uh, discussed any of these prospects, and I kind of wanted to hit on a. A um, few different ones, kind of all over the map. No real uh, sense to this podcast, like usual, right? Um, <laughs> let's start with Curtis Samuel uh, of Ohio State. Um, some see him as a running back. Some see him as a wide receiver. I saw recently that the Philadelphia Eagles are 
putting him through a, a private workout. Um, a few questions for you, Dane. Uh, one, where do you think his best position will be in the NFL? Two, do you think that most NFL teams agree with you? And three, where do you think that ultimately lands him in the NFL draft? And, you know, I, I hate having to, you know, put him uh, squarely in one position because, you know, we don't want to label him as one thing because that it doesn't mean he can't do the other. He, he's really both. He's a running back and receiver. Um, I, I don't agree with people that want to put him strictly in a slot or at receiver. Uh, I get the, the Randall Cobb comparisons and things like that. But Samuel averaged 7.9 yards per carry last year for the Buckeyes. Uh, I mean, he, he was very, very productive out of the backfield. Uh, as a ball carrier, and I don't want to take that away. Uh, but he is also a very accomplished pass catcher. He had 74 catches last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, he needs to get better as a route runner and finishing some catches. Uh, he, he's not Christian McCaffrey as a receiver, uh, but I think he does offer the similar versatility that you're looking for. So he does a little bit of both. I'm using him as uh, you know he, he's a running back in my rankings because that's where I think he should be uh, cons- you know considered because that's – you want to keep him in the backfield and then motion him out. You can put him out in the slot from time to time. Uh, and the teams that I've talked to, that's most. That's where they have him. Some I've talked to see him more as a Randall Cobb type, where he is a receiver, or a Percy Harvin, where they want to see him predominantly lined up, uh, you know, outside uh, or even in the, in the slot. So Curtis Samuel is a guy that a lot of teams are trying to figure out. Uh, you know, you mentioned the Eagles. Um, I, the Cowboys, I don't, this might be breaking some news. I don't know if it's out there yet, but the, the Cowboys, uh, he's one of their top 30 visits. Oh, interesting. Uh, because I know that of the 18 reported visits for them, only one was on the offensive side of the ball. Well, and there's only, I think there's only two offensive players on our top 30 list total. Wow. And one of them, Juju Smith-Schuster. Yeah, that was the, the other. Yeah. And the other one's Curtis Samuel. And so... It, 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 yeah, it is interesting because I don't think he'd be an option for the for the Cowboys 28, but could he be available for them at 60? I don't know if he's going to last that long. To me, same as the top 50 pick in this draft. I don't know if he'll last a 60, but uh, maybe if there's a trade-back option for them uh, or maybe if just they look at it as a value pick, if he somehow is there at 60, they, you know, they want to be ready for that scenario. Uh, but it, I thought it was very interesting that he would be – one of the 30 that they, they're taking a look at. So I, I, when it's all said and done, I think he belongs somewhere in that, that early to mid-second round range. And I know you mentioned that you don't want to peg him as, as just one position, but you have to, obviously, if you're a draft guy. I know you mentioned yeah. him as, and I don't mean to spoil people out there, you should still go and buy it. I know you're not just buying it for Curtis Samuel's scouting report. But uh, <laughs> he, he's at running back four for you. So let me mm-hmm. ask you this question. This is kind of a bigger question here. Um, since he is kind of a role player, right, we, we – definitely don't consider him a primary piece of a, of a rushing offense. Um, and since he's running back four, am I putting words in your mouth by saying that the running backs after him, you also don't think are primary pieces of a running game and that that's kind of when all the role players start at the position? You know, that's, that's one way to put it. It's, it's tough because it really depends on how these guys are used. I mean, you could argue that, you know, okay, I have Christian McCaffrey – as my number two running back yep. uh, ahead of Le- Leonard Fournette. Now, you know, if Leonard Fournette is, you know, fits the the mold of a more of a featured back of what you're looking for in a workhorse, 
But in the right scheme, if used correctly, I think Christian McCaffrey can have the bigger impact. And so with Curtis Samuel, it's the same type of deal where I think he can have the bigger impact if he's used in the right way. Uh, you know, we've seen uh, obviously the Patriots. They know how to use that type of talent with his versatility, um, whether in the backfield or out wide. Uh, they, they understand how to use that. And I think Christian McCaffrey with Philadelphia, I would love to see that fit. I think Coach Peterson would know how to use that type of talent. And it's the same thing with Curtis Samuel. I want to see him go to an offense uh, that understands how to use that versatility and doesn't just line him up in the, in the slot or, you know, one position and, you know, hope that he thrives. I hope they really take advantage of that versatility. And really there's only so many landing spots for him. And I think that could – you know, that could cause him to be the fifth, sixth running back taken. I think mm-hmm. that's possible. Just depends on the fit. So I, I like Alvin Kamara, not as much as, uh, you know, some some other people. Uh, you know, I like, you know, obviously Joe Mixon. That's a totally different discussion. Uh, you know, those are the five and six uh, running backs. And then you get a guy like Samaj P. Ryan, who, you know, is Big just fan. a different type of animal. Yeah, Big I like fan. him too. I, I think I have him in the third round. You know, he's not going to be the guy that you know makes you miss, but uh, you know, he's he's not a plotter either. You know, he 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 has a little bit of power, a little bit of that short area quickness, uh, and he's also one of the best blockers at the running back position this year. I was at his pro day. Uh, I, I felt bad for the pads. I mean, they were they were getting blasted. Um, And and I would even throw out a few more names that, like, if given an opportunity, like someone goes down ahead of them in the depth chart that they could still, you know, go on day three but be productive players early on, um, I would throw Jamal Williams out there from BYU. Mm -hmm. I would throw Elijah McGuire's name from Louisiana Lafayette out there. I mean, everyone's kind of looking for Jordan Howard, you know, a, what, fifth-round pick who Mm -hmm. goes and rushes for 1,000 yards as a rookie, you know? And, and obviously it's dependent on which team he goes to and what the fit is and everything like that. But um, just kind of visualizing who could be there on day three and has those kinds of and, – and not maybe top-end running back traits, but good enough traits to you know carry the bulk of a rushes for a team, I would throw out those two names as well. Yeah, um, no, two good names. And I think if there's a Jordan Howard in this draft, I think it could be Jamal Williams. I think yep. that, that matches up well, and I know – you're with me on this one on, on Kareem Hunt. I think we yep. both we both really like him and what he brings to the table. And one of your favorites from last year, Kenneth uh, Dixon. Yep. Uh, to me, that's what Elijah McGuire can be. Uh, I think he could be that type of player uh, with his ability as a pass catcher out of the backfield. I think that's what he does best. So I, I do like the Kenneth Dixon comparisons with him. And I believe you have Dalvin as running back one, right? I do. I think I'm trusting. So FSU Twitter is not going to invade your mentions like they do mine each week now. So who's where's Dalvin for you when you're running back? Well, I, I, you've been, uh, you didn't include him in your first round mock, right? Correct. And, and I mean, there's a longer discussion here and we've had it on every single podcast, but you know, it's, it's still worth bringing right. up because it's not being brought up enough, but just no one with his athletic profile in the last 15 plus years at running back has been selected in the first round. So while right. I still like him, while I still think he's talented, that's a totally different conversation than keeping him out of my first round mock, right? Just because that hasn't yeah, happened. It's, and it's tough to find spots for these running backs. Um, you know, Leonard Fournette at eight, you know, that's a popular one. Uh, it's something I've been going with. Uh, I, I have McCaffrey at 14 to the Eagles. Okay, but then where does Dalvin Cook fit? You know, maybe Tampa at 19. Uh, right now I have him going 24 to Oakland. Right. Uh, you know, we'll see what happens with uh, uh, Marshawn Lynch, you know, but. 
at that point, 24, late first round, I think you're getting a value with Dalvin Cook. So it, it, it really will be interesting to see where he ends up on draft day. Um, someone that you're not so thrilled about who, and I don't know when you wrote his profile and if or even if his pro day stuff had an impact on it, but Dante Foreman at running back 14. Um, mm. Look, I have questions about Dante Foreman as well. Um, but I think my questions are kind of in relation to expectations than anything, because whenever you see, you know, a 240, 235 pound running back, you expect them to thrive on contact. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And to me, Dante Foreman is a smaller back and a bigger back's body who was able to take advantage of, you know, five, six man boxes because of, you know, the offensive style that Texas had. But he's also young. He's also extremely athletic. So I'm I'm trending upwards in terms of my optimism for him, but I'm not going to put him, you know, in the top three or four at the position. Um, but you have him quite far below that. Yeah. And I mean, let's, let's just say what it is. The big 12 defense or the big 12 doesn't play defense. And I, I don't want to take anything away from Foreman. He rushed for over 2000 yards, uh, you know, credit to him. But uh, when you project him to the next level, it's just hard to see him having the same type of success. And I think you're right. he, he does have light feet for a guy that's his you know play weight is going to be between 235 240 uh, most likely maybe even heavier than that uh, you know after he's in the league for a year or two we'll see I just I don't see a distinguishing trait here with this player uh, he wasn't used as a pass catcher as a blocker he needs work and then as a runner uh, he has light feet but he's not going to make guys miss in the NFL I mean he's not going to fool NFL linebackers right. Uh, so I, I just, I don't, I, I struggle with where he fits. I think he can, you know, you add him to a committee. I think he can help you out, but I, I, I see him more as an Andre Williams, you know, the, the back out of uh, Boston college a couple of years ago, you know, a big guy productive, but when you translate that to the NFL, I just, I don't know where he's going to match. You know, he's not going to match the same production yet at Texas. But where is he going to find that success? I just I have a hard time seeing it. And I know after reading what I've said about um, Foreman, Evan likened him to Latavius Murray, which is kind of an interesting one as well, another athletic uh, running back. Um, let's move over to tight end. You know, we all know the names. Uh, obviously, David Njoku, O.J. Howard. I actually know, and we won't get into this, but Evan Ingram and Bucky Hodges, you have ranked at wide receiver. Mm-hmm. Um but let's let's talk about Adam Shaheen a little bit uh, from Ashland, yes. a what Division two prospect who declared early, which mm-hmm. I don't remember the last time that happening. And I even recall some uh, anonymous exec quotes that I read prior to the combine saying he's locked in or will be locked in as the third tight end off the board. Um, it's kind of crazy in this time in this tight end class. What, what do you think about him? I love him. Uh, he's one of my favorite players this year. Um, I, I had a scout turn me on to him in December, um, tell me, hey, this, this kid's going to come out. Uh, so I did a little bit of work on him, and I, you watch the tape, and he's, just, he's dominating these guys. And it, it's tough because it's, it's Division II competition. You know, he's playing guys that won't sniff the NFL. And at 6'6 and a half, 278 pounds, a legit 4'7 athlete, uh, you know, he's it's it doesn't take much to dominate D2 competition when you have that type of skill set. Um, for people that don't know his background, uh, out of in high school he's 190 pounds, didn't get looked at. Uh, actually played basketball his first year at Pittsburgh Johnstown. That's where the scholarship money was. But he you know wanted to play football, so he uh, put out a few feelers out there, 
uh, resurfaced at Ashland, uh, and then the last two years just dominated uh, the competition as a tight end. And he has the size to be an inline guy, so you know he, you know, you can detach him uh, or leave him with his hand on the ground. He can do both. Uh, you know, a, a move tight end. He can be your traditional Y. He can do a lot of things for you with that skill set. Uh, and he's tough because. Like you mentioned, he's a redshirt junior, so we didn't get a chance to see him at the Senior Bowl. Uh, we didn't get a chance to see him in an All-Star Game setting against better competition. Right. Uh, you know, we're going off of the tape and we're going off of uh, the measurables from the combine, which were very, very good. Uh, also, did really well at his at his pro day. So, it, it is a little bit of a projection here, and a, you know, a rare uh, type of uh, scenario because we don't yeah. right we don't see this happen very often. So. For me, I see a top 50 player. Um, wow. I would not hes- hesitate to use a player, or a pick in the top 50 on him. Uh, and, and I think when it's all said and done, that's eventually where we'll see him come off the board. Just looking at a lot of the draft histories from these teams, so many want to pick from big programs early on with the top two. Mm-hmm. Um, that even you know smaller FBS programs is a question in that regard, and then FCS. Uh, competition is a question, and then dropping all the way to to Division Two is is obviously an even bigger question, like you mentioned. So, yeah, I mean, obviously it'll be very interesting to see uh, which team makes that jump. Um, and I, I should add that uh, I think people should you know look into the draft guide just to even see where you have Johnu Smith from FIU, the tight end, because that's an interesting one. Um, I know this is a name that I, I didn't uh, uh, plan on asking you about, but he's getting a ton of love. Uh, out there right now in terms of people who who follow draft coverage everything like that uh baylor wide receiver ishmael zamora um Mm -hmm. you have him in the 20s of the wide receiver rankings um one because this is a multifaceted one right because he he wasn't invited to the nfl combine um but and he comes from the baylor system where uh obviously he and they're not to they're not asked to uh go hard on every single snap uh, likely, what, stuck to one side of the field. Um, it's kind of everything is linear off that scheme, and then it's broken off off of that. Um, but obviously there are physical tools to work with. How, how do you view Zamora moving forward? Uh, he is the perfect developmental type of, type of wide receiver. Um, the value, that's where I have a tough time figuring out you know, where he belongs. Um, and there's a couple of receivers this year like that. Noah Brown from Ohio State, another one uh, where you can get excited about where he could be a year from now, two years from now. But, you know, what's the value of a player like that? Where do you feel comfortable drafting him? And I think Zamora, it'll be all over the map. I have him in, in the late fourth, early fifth, but I could easily see him coming off the board ahead of that. Um, and I, I'd love to put him on my roster and develop that talent because there's a lot of talent there. 6'3", 220 pounds. Um, a player with long arms, a long striding athlete. Uh, he actually was the uh, Texas state champion in high school in the 110 meter hurdles in high school. Uh, so this is a big guy that can run. Uh, you know, he initially was going to go to Texas, but with everything going on there, goes to Baylor. And for people that don't know, he uh, had an uh, invite to the combine, but it was rescinded just like Mixon and Chad Kelly right. and uh, Tupo from Colorado because of his incident he had with, uh, with his dog. Uh, it was a classy misdemeanor. Uh, their video surfaced of him uh, beating his dog, something that obviously is a different issue that teams will have to work with uh, and, and figure out. But 
just based on the field, uh, you have a very impressive physical specimen, a guy that can do a lot with the body control, the adjustment skills, uh, his ability to adjust to the ball in the air. Uh, you're absolutely right about the offense that he comes from. Uh, you know, he, he was jogging half the time because the route wasn't intended for him. And so, uh, you know, it's just it's something that's going to be a big wake up call at the NFL level. And how will he respond to that? Uh, you know, a player who's just 21 years old, you just never know. The, you know, had one year of production, basically, this past year, 63 catches, uh, eight touchdowns. So the body of work isn't there. But the flashes, uh, they show a difference-making type of receiver. Now, can he realize that potential? Can he get there? That, that's anyone's guess. Time will tell. But uh, it, it really will be interesting where this guy ends up on draft day. Let's move over to the cornerbacks. Um, obviously, a hot topic in this draft class. I mean, some people say 10 might go in the top 50. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I say it all the time. I'm not overly confident in my cornerback evaluations. That's one way to put it. Um, so they will most likely be lower, and I won't have as many in the first round as many other people. But I, I asked you some names that you wanted to talk about, and one of the first names you mentioned was Akella Weatherspoon out of Colorado. Um, I think one of the most athletic corners in this class, like tested around the 90th percentile uh, in a very, very athletic corner class. Um, you know, there are all these other names, like I mentioned, that are – Top five corners, top ten corners. What about Witherspoon? Does he belong in that area? Yeah, and I, he's my number twelve corner. And I, you know, I, for the longest time, I felt like I was alone. And then uh, through the process, I think more and more people liked him uh, to the point where I think some people like him even more than I do now. Um, and that, that, you know, you know that it usually happens this time of year. Yes, with it does. The, when, when, when you're higher on someone, then you're lower on them. Right. Funny how that works. It's funny how funny how it works. Yeah. <laughs> but with Witherspoon, I, he's a great story because he didn't play football until his senior year uh, in high school because he was five eight, and then yeah. somehow between his junior year and his senior year, he went from five eight to six two. Uh, that's an amazing growth spurt. And so he goes to it play, starts playing corner, goes to the JUCO level, goes to Colorado. Uh, really didn't become a full time starter. Uh, until a senior season and in this past year uh, at Colorado 23 passes defense and when you're six two and a half 200 pounds and you run a legit 4-4 uh, there's a lot to like there uh, he can play man he can play off uh, there's just a lot to and he's a very smart individual uh, he graduated high school with a 4-4 GPA he's a pre-med student in Colorado and I think you see that translate uh, to the football field with his ability to anticipate routes uh, and understand coverages and everything that go on, that's going on on the field. So uh, he's still young in his development at the, the cornerback position, but I think thinking, projecting him forward about what he can be uh, down the road, uh, you get really excited. He's very quick feet. Uh, he attributes that to a soccer background. He's a big-time soccer player. So mm-hmm. uh, I, I think once the instincts continue to develop, uh, Witherspoon it can be an NFL starter and a guy that you, you can rely on on the outside. There were some loaded uh defensive backfields this year i mean yeah you have colorado you have washington i mean you have ohio, ohio state, state obviously yeah. um yeah i mean i even think gary and conley might end up five years from now as the top corner from this class um yeah and and i, I wanted to ask you this because so many fans hear about how great the corner class is and so that's the narrative and then they mm-hmm. say well we don't need to take one in round one or two that when we can find value that some drop uncharacteristically because of this year's group 
in rounds four, five, six. Are there any names or a name that you think could be a third-day selection that will outperform that at the cornerback slot? Uh, I think Jeremy Coutre from Middle Middle Tennessee, who's, uh, if you don't include uh, Mixon, is the highest combine snub for me this year. Uh, really a tall, lanky kid, uh, 6'1". He's only 167 pounds, and that's Ooh. the biggest worry with him. Um, but it's just a really fascinating story because he, he was recruited by LSU out of high school, didn't have the grades. Uh, so he goes to JUCO for two years, is ready to go to LSU again. Uh, LSU was ready to take him, didn't have the grades uh, again. So he went, go, ends up at Middle Tennessee, and the past two seasons – uh, you know, he, he's been a corner for them. Uh, you really like, he played a lot of press, a lot of off man coverage. You really like what he brings uh, just from a height, length, speed perspective. Uh, but he has trouble keeping on weight. And I talked to one of his assistant coaches who told me that Coutrer is easily the best player talent wise that he's ever coached. Uh, and this, in, this includes several other middle Tennessee guys that have been drafted uh, including the, what, the safety last year, Bayard, uh, who was what third round pick, I yeah, believe, and, and started for the Titans. Right. So I mean, he 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 told me Coutrere is easily better, um, just as a as a talent. But he he called him a puppy. He said he's just so young, uh, mentally in his development. He hasn't been, uh, you know, in a strength and conditioning program where he can keep on that weight. And you know, he was uh, displaced because of Katrina. And he's kind of been this is really a fascinating story because he's been kind of homeless the the past few months as he gets ready for the draft process. Oh, wow. So he's been living on co- on like couches and he hasn't been eating uh, on a regular basis. So I was told he was up to 180 uh, during his training, but now he's down though. He was 167 at his pro day just because of lack of uh, you know being in a program that to keep that weight up. So once an NFL team gets him in the building and can really get him. Uh, on a strength and conditioning program, and, on a nutrition program, right, right. you know, and really develop him. Uh, I, I think that there could be something there. So uh, maybe not in year one, but you draft him in the in the you know fourth, fifth round, and by year two, I think he's you know it's looking like a good pick. Yeah, it's interesting how often, not how often, but I'm hearing more and more about um, players and prospects being lighter coming out of certain schools or because of certain situations, like like Eric Salbert, for example, right, a, a mm-hmm. guy from Drake. Mm-hmm who went to a non-scholarship football program. Um, uh, I mean, they, like, work out in the same area as other students. They go to the same cafeteria as other students, you know. So it's it's mm-hmm. uh, all I hear from that program is that he's going to put on, like, 15 more pounds and, and, and much more muscle once he gets to the NFL um, just because of that situation. Um, I, again, did not prepare you for this question, but I'm interested. You, you mentioned Alvin Kamara earlier, and I'll set you up mm-hmm. for this. Um, the craziest thing I've heard this draft season from those inside and outside the NFL, let's put it that way, um, is how much the NFL loves Alvin Kamara. Um, how I've even heard maybe number 10 is possible, but that, you know, things situation with Doug Whaley and Sean McDermott and who knows who's making the decisions there might change that a little bit. But overall, there's an overriding sentiment that the NFL really likes Alvin Kamara. Not necessarily asking about Alvin Kamara, but Dane, what is the craziest thing you've heard as we approach April 27th draft? Hmm, the craziest thing. I, to me, it comes back to um, probably Pat Mahomes. Uh, and I guess I get it 
you know, I get the intrigue here, but Pat Mahomes is not a player that's going to help you in 2017. And I think there's a question about how early he can help you in 2018. I it just, I don't think, I mean, I, I understand the arm talent and the intrigue about, you know, who he can be down the road, but he's so raw and a lot of what he does is just muscle memory. Uh, you know, and you put him inside structure and how is he going to respond? And so the talks about him going as high as, you know, the top 12 to me is just that to me, that's crazy. I, to take a chance on a guy like that, that early and you're passing on uh, so many better prospects in my opinion. Uh, now in the mid second round, I would take a chance on Pat Mahomes. That's where, you know, I, I feel like his value would be. And, you know, we know these quarterbacks get pushed up, but with Pat Mahomes, I, I don't know. I, I, he's my fourth quarterback this year. I like him. I, I like the potential, but he comes from a simple passing attack, the air raid where, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's all kind of, it's made simple for him. He hasn't had to read defenses and he does his best when he's, uh, you know, the play breaks down and he's able to improvise and just kind of make something out of nothing. And in the NFL, can you really make a living that way? And, and so, and that's what he does best. So you want to take what he does best and then put him inside a structure and, you know, is he a guy you really trust winning from the pocket, snap in, snap out? I don't know. I, I love the, the arm talent and, you know, all the potential. I get it. I, I like him. That's why I gave him mid-second round grade. But talking about him as early as you know, the top 12, uh, to me, it just it kind of blows my mind a little bit. I'm kind of amazed at how some people are so confident in his ability at the next level, like so comfortable mm-hmm. in their – uh, positive evaluations from him, you know? Right. Uh, I, I just I, – I don't know how you could be uh, because he's an out-of-structure quarterback. Okay, let's play this then. Let's play a little game. Let's go position by position on skill positions, and I'm going to ask you who do you think will be the first prospect off the board? So at quarterback, okay. which quarterback do you think will come off the board first? I will say it's Mitchell uh, Trubisky. And it doesn't have to be to a certain team. I just, you know, just a name and or if you've heard anything or something like that. So you think it's Trubisky? Yeah. No, I, I think it comes down to Trubisky or Watson, um, but I'll, I'll say it's Trubisky. To where is anyone's guess? I mean, I could see him going as high as six to the to the Jets, yeah. you know, 12. Uh, you know, it, could he fall all the way to the 20s? That's possible. So, you know, as, as usual, the quarterbacks will be the wild card of the first round. Do you think the Browns sit at 12 and – are patient with a the quarterback there. It seems like if they if they want to take a quarterback, then they have to move up. I mean, all their offseason moves have indicated they are going to add a quarterback at some point because you don't add to that offensive line like that uh, to prepare for, you know, a veteran or Cody Kessler, who it seems like Q wasn't even a focal point in making that decision. Yeah, and that's a good point. Uh, and it's just – it's tough because knowing what they – they like so much about Cody Kessler, uh, you know, the analytical guys in the front office, and that's who made that pick. Right. Um, and so who do they like in this class that can be that guy? I mean, obviously, Trubisky doesn't have the body of work that you exactly. would think. So, so to me, unless Hugh, like, absolutely loves right. him, like he is his clear number one, then mm-hmm. he can't be the pick there, if that makes sense. Right. And see that, and that's what you battle with because exactly. – that, but we don't see Trubisky. You know, we don't see cases like this very often. I mean, there's only been two quarterbacks with one year starting experience go in the first round, 
uh, ever, and, and that was Cam Newton and Mark Sanchez. So yeah. it's just it's not a, a, something we see very often. So this could be a special case. I, I, you know, I wouldn't rule out Trubisky there, uh, but you know, then who do you know? Who do the Browns like? Do, is Watson really their guy? Uh, you can't take Mahomes that early, can you? I mean, that just to me that's that's crazy. Yeah. Uh, and then of course you have Kaiser, who to me Kaiser makes the most sense for this team. Um, but are you okay taking him at twelve or? You know, you're sitting there at the 33rd pick. Maybe you look to trade back into the late second and, uh, you know, pick up that fifth-year option. That way you get two playmakers at 1-12, and 12, and then you can get your quarterback later on. It'll be tough. They they coached uh, Davis Webb uh, right. in, so, in the so Senior At least Bowl. one team is driving that buzz, right? Right. It, that could very well be, be Cleveland. And then I also know they like Josh Dobbs. If you're going to look as a more – you know, they surprised with Cody Kessler in the third round last year. Yeah. They could surprise with Josh Dobbs in the third round this year. Um, at running back, is it is it Leonard Fournette, or do you think Christian McCaffrey somehow sneaks in there, or someone else? I think it'll be. I think it'll end up being Leonard Fournette. Um, like I said, he's my number three running back. I have Cook and McCaffrey ahead of him, but I do think the Panthers or another one of those teams will will pull the trigger on Fournette ahead of McCaffrey. What about wide receiver? Uh, I think this one's like really up in the air. I think Corey Davis's draft process has been very, very quiet. Um, I mean, I know he's, I think, worked out or visited the Panthers, the Eagles, and then one more team. But again, someone coming off, you know, minor ankle surgery, uh, coming from Western Michigan, um, you know, it's, it's been a quiet process. Uh, it, could it be him? Could it be John Ross, Mike Williams? Right. I mean, no receiver in FBS history has more receiving yards than Corey Davis. So oh, I love Corey Davis. I, I think he's wide well, receiver one, clearly. Right. But I, coming from, like you mentioned, coming from Western Michigan, coming from the MAC, those questions will be there. And he did, chose not to participate in the Senior Bowl. And after that, the ankle injury. And, you know, we'll, hopefully we'll see him work out before the draft, but no guarantee that'll happen. Uh, so, you know, th- those questions do exist. Could that force a team to go Williams over Davis? I, you know, I don't know. I mean, they're different types of receivers, you know, different, you know, they win in different ways. They offer different skill sets. Um, I right now I lean Corey Davis as the top receiver to be drafted. Um, I have him going 10 to Buffalo. Uh, you know, they need a, a running mate for Sammy Watkins in the worst way. And I, I think that could be a possible fit. Um, could you see Corey Davis going as high as eight to Carolina? Uh, I think they should make that pick, but I don't think they make that pick. Um, right. I actually put him at five to Tennessee. Um and okay. I, I mean, I, I doubt they go, you know, that early at receiver, but I think it's clearly their top option or their top need to, you know, give more pass catchers to Marcus Mariota in order to progress that offense. Yeah, um, I think and, we. And so, and we so, can, if you if if you have you know one that is the top on your board, then why not just take him at five? Right, and with the fifth and eighteenth picks, I think yeah, you know, we feel good. One of those has to be a weapon for exactly. Mariota, whether that's a wide receiver or a Joku or you know whoever. Right. Uh, yeah, you help out your young quarterback. Uh, I'll mention this: um, I expect the Steelers to add a receiver, possibly at the end of round one, either mm-hmm. a wide receiver like Mike Williams or David and Joku if he's on the board. Um, and I think the latest they take one is round two. Um, maybe Chris Godwin, someone like that. Chad Hanson. So you, Chad Hanson, so you're, even, your boy. Yeah, my guy. He's top five receiver for me. So you're saying that Steelers will take a receiver either in the first or second round? I'm saying that, and then the other first or second round pick will be a cornerback. That is my prediction. Um, mm-hmm. What about tight end? It's, it's O.J. Howard, right? 
Yeah, it has to be. I mean, Joku has probably the higher ceiling when it's all said and done. But Howard, you could argue, is the has the highest floor of any prospect in this draft with yeah. what he brings to uh, you know, your roster as an inline guy. He can you know flex out, can do everything you want tight end position. Uh, that, that's why I have him going twelve to Cleveland. Uh, instantly helps that offense. Um, and then Garrett Bowles uh, is an interesting one because we saw in the free agent market how average to above average tackles get paid, right? Mm-hmm. Like wind up as Khalil. Yeah, and Russell Okung, even though he, right. when he's not healthy, Riley Reef. I mean, they get paid top 10 tackle money each and every year. Um, yet, even and I'm guilty of this, so many mocks don't have the first one going until the Denver Broncos at number 20. Um, I absolutely think, after talking to some people, that Garrett Bowles goes in the top 15. Now it's, it's or I think he's locked into there, honestly. And, hmm. and I, I think it's, you know, difficult to say, well, this team has an obvious need and then uh, place him there because, like I said, it's so easy just to put the first one to the Broncos. But, I mean, I wouldn't be shocked by Jacksonville at four. I wouldn't wow. be surprised by the Jets at six. Um, even some of these teams, I mean, Dane, and, and you might have better information than I do, I wouldn't be shocked by the Cleveland Browns at 12. Put him at, on the right side and continue that offensive line and then move him to the left side in a few years. Um, it's, it's, in a it's, few years, he'll be 36. <laughs> he's, an old, well, he's an old guy. Well, he's 25, you know. Uh, yeah, I, know. I mean, that, that's young compared to us, Dane. Um, um, but what I'm saying is it, you don't just have to be a left tackle to now be drafted in the top 15, as we have seen. Yeah, and Garrett Bulls is as interesting as they come with his backstory and everything. And uh, listen, as an athlete, he's fantastic. Uh, he's, uh, I mean, he's a very uh, nasty player. I mean, it, it borders on dirty at times. And that, yep. that's the type of guy you want. Uh, but you know, it comes down to how a team feels about his strength development, uh, his you know, mechanical development. So I get it. I understand the intrigue. Personally, I think Ryan Ramchek's the better player, uh, but obviously he has the hip issue, and so you kind of wonder about that. But with Bowles, when you're that type of athlete, no, you're not going to last very long. It doesn't matter you know your background or anything. Exactly. Uh, the off the NFL starved for offensive tackles, and when you can move like Bowles does, uh, I, I get it. So it's it's kind of tough to find an, uh, a clear landing spot in the top 15, but those are some interesting teams. I mean, some interesting landing spots. So you could definitely see it happening. And, I mean, this the beginning and the end of it is, like you said, how many people that are viewed heading into the draft as a top, the top or, or the second option um, move have left tackle feet like Garrett Bowles mm-hmm. each and every year. It, it's just it's difficult to find, right? But and you you also factor in that this tackle class is not very good. Right. I mean, yeah, how many future starters are in this group? Right. Maybe and, maybe five. And that maybe? that brings up a point where I mean I've seen because I, I I track some of these workouts and and, and visits. Um, how many workouts someone like uh, Julian Davenport is getting mm-hmm. right from Bucknell from right. Bucknell and and. I mean, at some point in this process, he was viewed as like a fifth or a sixth rounder. I, I really think, Dane, he goes maybe late third, early fourth round just because in that area and, and a team like, let's say, the Cowboys a few years ago took Max Garcia in the third round, right? Like you, you can take swing linemen in that area with – Chaz Green. Right? Chaz Green, sorry. Max Garcia yeah. plays for the Broncos. Um, right. Um, 
you you take swing linemen that have upside in your opinion that you think you can groom and grow who then take over as starters. Um, right. And and I wouldn't be surprised if a team thinks Davenport's like that. I think Will, Will Holden. Will Holden. I was just right. about to mention that name. Uh, yep. Jylan, what's his name? Jylan Ware? No, what's his name? Yeah, from Alabama State, yep. right. And then there's one more from Villanova, Brad Seaton. Yeah, he's getting a lot of love. A um, lot of teams wondering about him. Yep, so all of these guys like Dante Scarnecchia and, and all these position coaches mm-hmm. are, are going through all of these upside tackles. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if a few of them go in round three or four that just surprises just because like what we talked about this tackle market. Right, I agree. Um, all right, Dane, that's 40 minutes. That's good enough, that's good right? Stuff. Like, yeah. like I said, uh, go and check out Dane's draft guide. It's just nine ninety nine. Like you now can barely even get like a subway sub for that, you know, and this is much <laughs> better for you. Um, Dane's work is also on obviously CBS sports NFL draft scout. You can follow him on Twitter at T D B Brugler. I'm sure I actually think now he has more Twitter followers than I do. Uh, even though I, you know, helped him get started in this business. Uh, he did. I owe it all to you. <laughs> all right, Dane. I'll talk to you all soon. All right, thanks, Joe. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.